James chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. In 1998, I was in uh, Togo, West Africa. It's kind of, if you can picture uh, Africa, it's like an ice cream cone with the ice cream falling off of it. So Togo is kind of on that bottom section of the, the ice cream scoop. I'd been there for a couple of months with seven other college students who, whom I didn't know before the trip. And it was a great trip. I have lots of good memories from it. It's where I, I feel like God really firmed up the desire for me to uh, pursue vocational ministry. So I'll always look back that, on that with fond memories. Uh, but I was also sick with malaria for much of the trip. And that means fever, chills, not being able to keep any food down at all. I actually came very close to death. Uh, all the other students, it came time to go home and all the other students went home. I had to stay because it wasn't safe for me to fly And my mother came to Africa to stay with me for a few weeks while I got better. And among all the the other memories from uh, this trip, there's several that stick out, but there's one in particular that sticks out in my mind. I remember the Togolese doctor who had been treating me. He actually made a living caring for uh, pregnant women, women who were about to deliver, but it was the best that they had at the time. But he walked into my room. He asked if he could play my guitar, and I said yes. He picked it up, and after a few strums, he began to sing a song that I knew, but one I didn't really feel like singing. And he sang, Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give thanks because He's given Jesus Christ His Son. And now let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich, because of what the Lord has done for us. Give thanks. Thanks. So every time I think of that, it almost brings a tear to my eye because I think of how blessed I was for him to come in and sing that song to me at that moment. To sing, to remind me of the unchangeable goodness of God. What he was doing in that moment was reminding me of what we all know and what we've probably repeated before. God is good all the time and all the time God is good. We've been talking about trials in the first part of this letter of James. He's told us to consider it joy in the midst of trials because we know that God is at work in them to grow us, to change us, to shape us, that we might grow in maturity in Christ. He's told us that in riches or in poverty, we ought to know that everything we have has come from the Lord. He has warned us to be on guard about the deceptive nature of sin and temptation. And now in this passage, verses 16 to 18, James is bringing the topic of trials to a close, at least for now. He'll come back to it later. But instead of focusing in on the trials themselves, he, he focuses in on the glorious goodness of God. So in this passage, James wants his readers to know the unchangeable goodness of God 
so that they won't be deceived in the midst of their trials and troubles. So they won't be deceived about what they're facing in life. So here's our main theme for this morning. And this is kind of a difficult sentence to understand, so then I'll give you another one that will be easier to take in maybe. Having an experiential knowledge of the goodness of God helps us not be deceived about the trials and temptations we face. Having an experiential knowledge of the goodness of God helps us not be deceived about the temptations and trials that we face. Or another way we could put it, knowing God's goodness helps us make sense of life. Knowing God's goodness helps us make sense of life, of, of all the, the different circumstances that we face. It will help us have a, a heavenly perspective of all that we go through. And what I mean by experiential knowledge or knowing God's goodness is not simply that you intellectually know that God is good, but that you have experienced His goodness. So the psalmist uh, says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Or Peter in 1 Peter 1, 2-3. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. John Piper likens this to knowing the sweetness of honey. Do you know that honey is sweet? Maybe you've read it in a book at one point or another that honey is sweet. But will will you really experientially know that honey is sweet until you touch it to your lips and put it in your mouth and taste the goodness, the sweetness of honey? And in the same way, it's one thing to read about the goodness of God or to know intellectually that God is good and another thing altogether to taste and see that the Lord is good. So do you know that God is good? Have you tasted the goodness of God? And the reason this is so important is because in trials and temptations, we are prone to being deceived. That's our first truth from this passage. In trials and temptations, we are prone to being deceived. So James says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters. In 1 Corinthians 6, Paul says, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. In Galatians 6, Paul uses the same phrase. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. So the force in these passages, in this phrase, and in James here is, don't have any doubt about this. Make no mistake about it. James wants to emphasize the truth of what he's about to say. Namely, The truth of God's unchangeable goodness. And he wants to emphasize this because we are all prone to being deceived. We're prone to make mistakes about the nature of temptations or the nature of God, especially when we're in the face of difficulty. Maybe you have, maybe you are gullible 
or maybe you have gullible friends, they're, they can fall for anything if you share some story that's totally off the wall, some fact that's totally unbelievable, they're still prone to believe you. They, they believe you. They're just trusting. They believe you. And when it comes to spiritual things and the things of this world, the Scripture teaches that we are all prone to be deceived about God, about ourselves. And therefore, this is why we need the Word of God. To the extent you are rooted in the Word of God, you will not be gullible when facing trials and temptations. You've probably heard the, the proverb, proverb, Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. Uh, you may have heard that referring to you know, a, a church's vision about the future or, or where we should go. But really, this proverb is actually referring to the prophetic vision, the prophetic word from God, where there is no revelation from God. God revealing Himself through the prophet, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. This is why we need the reading and the preaching and the studying of God's Word. Because it is an anchor to reality, which we are so prone to be deceived about. And it's not just that we, we need to read the Word of God more, because some of the, the greatest heresies have come from people reading the Bible all by themselves, secluded in a corner somewhere. We need to read the Bible together. In community, we were, we were meant for this. That we might encourage one another, challenge one another, uh, sharpen one another. And so as a very practical example, you could begin reading Scripture with another believer on a regular basis. That you might sharpen one another. So maybe you have times where you, you meet with fellow believers on a regular basis and you, you encourage one another, you strengthen one another. What if you added the Scripture into that meeting and began reading it together, thinking through it together, thinking through the applications, thinking through what it, what it teaches you about God and what it teaches you about life. Because we're all prone toward error and not the truth. The Scriptures, however, are a constant corrective to our impaired understanding. And here's what James wants us to understand here. Our second truth, God is the source of all that is good. God is the source of all that is good. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. That God is good is evident from all of His creation. Paul in Romans says that this is why all people are without excuse, because they have seen God's goodness and power in what he has made. This is what is referred to as general revelation. That is, God tells us something about himself. He reveals himself to us in what he has created and in the good gifts he has given to all people. And this extends to believers and unbelievers. So if you are not a Christian, then you should know that God is good in His gifts to you. In, in all of His gifts, He is the source of all that, is good, all that is good. We would plead with you to see that every gift you've ever received has had its origin in a good and loving God. So if you've 
sat on the beach with your toes in the sand and the sun shining down, feeling its warmth. If you've been filled with joy at waking up to a fresh coat of snow over everything in sight. If you have felt the warmth of a friend's embrace just when you needed it. All these things are good gifts from the Lord. In fact, James says, every good gift and every perfect present comes down from him. And reminding his readers of this would help them to see that desires in themselves aren't evil. Going back to verses 13 to 15, God's gifts are good, but it's the evil desires which twist God's good gifts for their own selfish enjoyment of them. Evil desires are a misuse of the good gifts of God. Rather, we are to use these gifts rightly for His glory and with recognition that He is the source of all that is good. And James says that these gifts come from above, from the Father of the heavenly lights. And this description of God points to Him as the the Father of lights or the Creator of the lights, the Creator of the sun, moon, and stars, probably the heavenly bodies, which are themselves good creations of God as we look back to Genesis chapter 1. And God created and it was good. But it's not just enough for James to say that God is good. He wants to say something more. He could have just left it at this, that God is good. Some may be tempted to say that, yes, God gives good gifts, but He also gives some pretty horrible things too. Maybe you've thought that from time to time. Maybe you've been deceived into thinking that God is not always good in those times that you've faced trouble. Maybe you think God is kind of like us, sometimes good, but other times filled with jealousy and anger, giving difficult things with malice. And to this, this James says, no, actually, God doesn't just give good gifts. It's not just an, uh, a partial attribute that he has. He isn't just good. God is unchangeably good. He is unchangeably good. That's our third truth. James says, he does not sh- change like shifting shadows. Or another version He is without variation or shifting shadow. James appears to still be talking about the movements of the heavenly bodies, the stars in their course. Here, God is contrasted with all that changes. The hours pass by and God remains the same. Days and weeks and months bring different seasons with them, but God remains the same. Politicians take their places. Presidents change. Nations rise and fall, but God remains the same. And really, this is the theme that James has been developing throughout this first chapter. The one who doubts, he's like the wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. But God is the generous and constant giver of wisdom. We're tempted, we're led astray and carried off by our evil desires. But God cannot even be touched by evil. He cannot be tempted by evil. He's not just good, he is unchangeably good. And this is what gives us hope. If God was simply good at one time, if we weren't sure that his goodness would endure to the next day, if we thought that there was a chance he might get angry and really give it to us, then we would really be tossed to and fro with fear and doubt and uncertainty. 
But God remains the same. Consider Psalm 102. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. And you've heard the prophet Malachi say, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. The God who was good from all eternity, the God who was good when He created all things, who was good in calling Abraham out from idolatry, the God who was good in rescuing His people out of Egypt, the God who raised up kings and kingdoms for His glory, who has preserved a people for Himself, who gave us His only Son in order to rescue sinners, who raised Him from the dead, who opened your eyes to see the glory of Christ, who has filled you with His Holy Spirit, who has comforted you in your weakness. This is the same God who has always been good and will be good for all of eternity. No matter what life brings your way, sickness, pain, financial ruin, homelessness, depression, remember this, that God is unchangeably good. And James gives us one outstanding example of the goodness of God in his gift of the new birth to his people. This is our fourth truth from the passage. God gives the new birth. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he has created. So God's gift of regeneration or the new birth is a prime example of his goodness to his people. There's a statement of faith called the Baptist faith and message that says this regeneration or the new birth is a work of God's grace whereby believers become new creatures in Christ Jesus. It is a change of heart wrought by the Holy Spirit through conviction of sin, to which the sinner responds in repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In layman's terms, it is a radical change of one's heart, of one's thoughts, of one's life. When a person is born again, he is made new. He's given new desires and new loves. His heart is turned to the desires and loves of God. Has this taken place in your heart? Have you been born again? Is that true of you that your, your, your thoughts, your heart, your desires have been radically changed by Christ? Have you been given a new heart? Now, we need to think about regeneration because there's some debate among Christians about When does this take place? When is the new birth given? Some say that God gives the new birth to a person after he's turned from his sin and trusted in Christ. But as you think about it, if this is something that we do or something that God gives us because of something we do, how would it be considered a gift at all? It would be something we did or something we earned and then God responded to what we had done to give it to us. But James sees, uh, sees it as a gift. 
as something that God does by His own will. He chose to do this. Not because of a forcing faith. Not because of potential that He saw in us. Simply because it pleased Him to do so. And this is the definition of grace. Isn't it? So James says, He chose to do this. Or another version says, Of His own will He brought us forth. He's continuing to carry forward this image of childbirth. And he's developing this contrast. Evil desire gives birth to sin, gives birth to death, but God gives birth to us resulting in life. Now how does God do this? How does God change someone so radically that their actions, their thoughts, the very motivations of their heart, the loves in their heart change? James says that he did it by the word of truth. So in the Old Testament, this phrase appears to refer generally to the word of God, to the law of God. So in Psalm 119.43, the psalmist asks God not to take away the truth, the word of truth from his mouth. God's word is where his hope is, where his trust rests. But in the New Testament, it seems that it is used in a more precise way. In Ephesians 1.13, we read, In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And in Colossians 1.5, Paul equates this phrase, the word of truth, with the gospel. The gospel is the word of truth. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ died on the cross for sinners and rose from the dead. So how does God give the new birth? How does He take this heart of stone out and give a person a new heart with new loves and new desires? It's through the word of truth, the gospel. Jesus is the good and perfect gift coming down from the Father and He gives life to all who will receive Him. So I love this. Here's how it works in the words of Pastor Jeff Thomas. So it is God Himself, the Father of the heavenly lights, who determines to bring the word of truth to them in the form of a sermon or a friend who speaks to them or in a tract or a booklet, in a meeting in the open air or in a text on a wayward a wayside pulpit, or by a radio message, or reading a Gideon Bible, or sovereignly by a single word. Or God brings to their recollection long-forgotten words, teasing them out from the recesses of their memories. By any and every means, He is determined to bring them to the word of truth. And as they come under the influence of those words, He simultaneously is operating in their hearts and lives, giving them the birth from above, which opens their understanding and illuminates their minds. Then he hangs in with them year after year, coming back to them, waking them again when they slumber, warming them when they grow cold. Without that divine birth, they remain hostile and dead in sin, utterly unable to understand the word of truth. But without the word of truth, their regeneration has no explanation. It is by this word of truth, the gospel, that God regenerates men and women and children by His grace, by His own free will. And it's by this word of truth, the gospel, that He stirs us to faith time and time again. 
So listen to this then. Knowing this, knowing that the gospel is is the means by which God makes people new. Don't you think we ought to be sharing it near and far as much as we are able, telling people the word of truth, this gospel message of Christ and His grace? If you you think that self-help is what changes a person, what will you do? You will give them self-help. You'll give them books. You'll give them lectures to listen to, conferences to go to on pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps of having confidence in themselves. If you think political views are what changes a man, then you will get him hooked on talk radio and news TV shows. But if you think the gospel and only the gospel can change a person and save him from hell, then you better give him the gospel. Can you say with Paul, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of salvation to everyone who believes. So brothers and sisters, maybe we need to revisit our understanding of the power of the gospel. We often myself included, we often speak about the gospel as though it is powerful, but we don't often speak the gospel in order to see its power. Speak the gospel and leave the results up to God. Speak the gospel and people will be changed. Speak the gospel and God will accomplish His purpose of saving sinners for His glory. But God's aim here isn't just to save a lot of individual souls without reference to one another or the rest of all creation. James gives us just a hint of how God's goodness is going to be seen in the future. And it is glorious. He chose to give us birth by the gospel so that, he gives the reason for it, so that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So that word first fruits in the scriptures refers to the first ripe fruit which promises the coming full harvest and it refers to the special possession of God. In the New Testament, in James here, we see this term used for Christians. We are the first fruits. We are the special possession of God. We are the first of what is to come regarding God's redemption. And this points still further to God's unchangeable goodness. God is good. You see it in His gifts. You see it in the gift of the new birth. And you will see it in what He is going to do with all of creation. He's not going to stop with saving individual sinners. But He will be their Father and bring them into a family. And He's not going to stop with that either. He will also redeem all of His creation And bring into being the new heavens and the new earth in which his people will dwell with him forever. So John in the book of Revelation chapter 21 records these words after he sees the new city of God coming down. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. This is God's goodness put on display. And seeing God's goodness should make us the most grateful people on the planet. I heard a radio interview this past week with a guy named David Ring. Um, He, along with someone else who helped him write it, uh, wrote a book called The Boy Born Dead. He was born, stillborn, and for 18 minutes he didn't breathe. And then all of a sudden he breathed. He came to life. As a result of being deprived of oxygen, though, he suffered from cerebral palsy. He's had great difficulties in his life. His parents both died when he was a teenager who had been caring for him for all those years. And then one day he says he went into a church and he heard the gospel and his heart was changed forever. And now whenever he speaks in Christian colleges or in public places, he says this is not a disability. It's a platform to proclaim the goodness of God. You could probably find him on YouTube somewhere. He, he speaks, and it's very hard for him. It, it, it takes a lot of work for him to speak. And yet he sees every opportunity as a platform for God's goodness. In this interview, he talked about all of his difficulties, all the trials that he faced. And then just as the interview turned off, he said this, When I die and go to heaven, I just want to ask God one question. And with his speech being so impaired and slow, The suspense really builds up. What is he going to say? What is he going to say? This one question. And he blew me away because I wasn't expecting what he was going to say. He said, when I die and go to heaven, I want to ask God one question. And it's this. God, why were you so good to me? And that only happens when you've been changed by the gospel. You're only able to say that of those circumstances when you know the unchangeable goodness of God. Let's pray. Father, help us to taste and see your goodness so that we will not be deceived about life's troubles, so that we will not be deceived about your nature or what you are doing. Help us to see your good gifts for all that they are worth. In the midst of trials and temptations, bring us back again and again to your gift of the new birth in making us new by the power of the gospel. And we pray that you would give us a vision of what you were about to do, of what you were going to do in the future, that we would recognize the power of this word of truth, the power of the gospel of Christ, that we might share it with others and see lives change for your glory. Father, show us your goodness, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.